narrative is funded by viewers like you. Support our independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative. about Philip, um, who is the very secretive gentleman who showed up at the, at the Trump, sorry, Rudy Giuliani's meeting that he had on January the 6th. Everyone was staying at the Willard Hotel, as we know. So while they were there, they had this, you know, some say it's a war room. I think it was more like a command center. But after the event, they got together and they decided to analyze the day's events. And everyone's imagination got caught up into who this guy in this white shirt is. And tonight, I think we can reveal for the first time who it is. Uh, Jacob, you can tell us who that guy is. It'll be really interesting for our audience. Who is he? So his name is Philip. I can't remember his uh, last name. Philip A. Lulsdorf, I think is how you say it. Yeah, Lulsdorf. He's a bad poker player. His mother is born in Russia and they were refugees going from country to country and she's got a really interesting story. There's some videos online about her. Um, she's got a, she married her second husband was a German a baron. Right. Uh, there's some ties around him to Russia as well. Uh, and this is Russia. So this is the interesting picture that you ha you've had. This is him the night before at a at an event yeah. guarding Roger Stone, as far as we're aware. Uh, I don't. We don't know who's guarding. Okay. But he's got an ear here and acts like a guard. And, and then right next to it, you see the actual picture that was taken um, or Giuliani meeting. And it is really interesting that he has this. You know, his mother is a white Russian. She was a part of the nobility, we can, as far as we can tell, in that she was involved in all, all places in Xinhua, uh, where, where the Uyghurs are. When the white nationalists were trying to immigrate to the area, she was part of the Catholic Church there, or the Orthodox Church there, trying to help that white immigration happen. They eventually were run out of the area, and they spent two years in poverty, but somehow they landed on in, in D.C. And that's an interesting story in itself, because there's some evidence that the family arrived through San Francisco and, and was somehow involved with the Russian embassy in San Francisco, which is, of course, a hotbed for espionage activity. Um, so Philip is an interesting guy. He is the director of, of business affairs, right, for the First yeah. Amendment Praetoriate. So that's actually a listed thing that is on the actual document. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about what he does, uh, Jacob, yeah. in that capacity, what you suspect he does as, as the head of business development there? I, I, we really don't know much about him. He he popped up just a few days ago when we realized who it was. It wasn't us. It was, uh, I can't remember, the Twitter handle, the show, Sweet or whatever. I really don't know much about him. I know he's played poker. I know he's got a, a fund from his uh, father, about 130,000 US dollars a year. And, you know, he's been running some failed businesses and so on. You know, who might know a little bit about him is our friend Joe Dempsey. And Joe's here joining us uh, as he sometimes does. Hi, Joe. How are you doing? Hi, thanks for having me, Jeff. Joe, you've looked into uh, Philip a little bit. Can you tell us what you found out? Sure. I mean, like you said, he's the director of business development listed under the Praetorian, first, first Praetorian. The, the thing is that the First Amendment Praetorian is actually sounds like a DBA under the Shepherd Group. Mm -hmm. And the Shepherd Group is something I believe that Robert Patrick Lewis also is involved in. That's yeah, usually the same in, sort of, uh, what was like a front cover of, for the First Amendment Praetoriate. For, from a business development perspective, given what I heard from, from Robert Patrick Lewis, your business development director is going to be somebody who's going to want to go out and look for events for you to do your thing. 
Mm. So if, you know, drumming up business for security details, I'm trying to determine where to be, who should, it's, it's, that's what I would think the business development director would do for a child or for a person like that. And the history he has with his, I don't know if you looked into his mother's history and his father's history, both have, both have been tied to, to the Soviet Union in different ways. Tell us a little bit about how the father was is, is involved. Yeah, the, father, the father is a linguist. Uh, he does a lot of, he's been published in a lot of journals, whether they be grammar journals, sometimes even a neuropsych journal, so pub, medical publications as well. His primary focus, it seems, has been on language and how to teach vernacular and correct grammar to use within a different society. So for instance, it's, he, he was at, I believe it was the University of Regensburg in Germany. And at that time he was teaching English to German speakers, but was trying to teach English as we would speak in the United States, whatever colloquial terms may be and, and things like that. He also did some translations in the late 70s for old Soviet um, documents and, and, and things like that. And it's interesting they entered the United States through these through San Francisco, and then he got his first job. It appeared through the embassy there in San Francisco. That's the one that was burning documents, uh, if you remember correctly, as soon after the, the 2016 election. So it's hard to say to say anything specific about whether there's anything suspicious there. But there certainly is a history of white nationalism that runs through the family. There's a history of nobility, and there's clearly a history directly tied to the sort of Russian leadership there. So it's interesting uh, that this guy is the head of business development for this organization. And you know, it's on that. That day, we've, we probably have now, I'd say, a handful of Russian operatives that were present during January the 6th. I've not seen anyone at a level like this, uh, where they're so close to Michael Flynn, uh, who himself is suspected of being a Russian asset because of dinner with Putin and what have you, that it's, it is fascinating that, that there are so many Russians in these high places, considering everything we've been through. George, do you have any thoughts on that? Any thought about the, uh, the, the Russian influence here? No, no. not really. Okay. No, I don't. I didn't know about this guy, Lulstorff. Is he a veteran? No, no. We we haven't found any records of uh, him doing service whatsoever in the US. That's interesting. Not that I'm aware. I thought they were all uh, they're all in that organization. That's, they were all. That's uh, why he stands out when we're looking at these people. He's the only one central without any military background. That we know of. He might have, but we haven't found any. Now, he also, interestingly, there's a church in Jerusalem, the, Rus the Russian Orthodox Church was trying to reclaim it, and they set up an organization in Jerusalem to defend this church and make sure that the Russians were couldn't buy it, and it's, uh, it's an unusual thing, I would think, for a, a family out of, out of the United States to be spending all this uh, time and effort setting up an organization to help defend a church in Jerusalem, but it certainly does tie into some of the other the threads we've been seeing around about these orders and the, 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 the Knights of Melta and what have you yeah. that, that are out there that are certainly interesting. We don't want to go there now, but, it's, but it is interesting that there's another part of her story. When she goes to uh, Moscow, she, they run a um, helping organization quite early, uh, sending uh, things to Russia. If that story is true, or not, I don't know. But she seems to be had more or less a VIP treatment in Moscow, for yeah. her sake. She has that prefix. His name probably too is Philip A. His name he has listed as Lulsdorf, but his mother's name is von Lulsdorf, yeah. which oh, indicates some sort of German nobility or Russian nobility. Did he used it? He, we have found him using it in some early documents. Yeah. That's really interesting. Joe, you're going to say something. Yeah, I think another common thread that we've seen through a lot of this is religion and evangelicalism. So it's not surprising about churches because it just seems like, especially from the Praetorian perspective, they're very much 
a Christian group and he very, very evangelical about it. Mm -hmm. The other thing you wanted to mention, Joe, was this, uh, these guys operate basically an intelligence agency, or at least they claim to have an intelligence agency, but they also say they have 10,000 or tens of thousands of profiles in their database of agitators and TIFA activists, or God they might have their enemies of Donald Trump. And I want to play you a clip from um, Robert Patrick Lewis, uh, where he discusses some of this. It's not long, and it'll give us a sense of how they approach this. I put out a warning on my Twitter um, to anybody who had planned on traveling and anybody who attended this event that we would have cameras everywhere, or that we did have cameras everywhere, and if they were caught on camera doing anything illegal, they would be handed off in a nice little package to federal law enforcement as we have a lot of federal law enforcement veterans uh, on our team. We have a database of tens of thousands of verified Antifa professional agitators. Um, and we're throwing the facial recognition against that database right now. Uh, it's one thing if you've got your law and order contacts, but they're using it now in the name of an insurrection. It yeah. sounds kind of a stunning and, thing. And, and the word Praetorian really jumps out because it's not one that you hear all the time. It goes mm. back to you know ancient Rome mm. and what the Praetorian Guard were doing were guarding generals and the elites. And spying. So guard, and, and they were sort of as, as an intelligence for the emperor as well. And mm. overthrown gov uh, governments. And overthrown yep. governments and occasionally killed an emperor or two. <laughs> so, so this group, you know, having that sort of background in then, then to come out and say, we're doing protection services for those that can't, let's say, afford to hire their own private security. They're doing it. So he asks for donations in those videos. Mm. One of the things uh, that really just stood out in those videos was to George's point earlier, the rhetoric the words, mm. the language that they're using. He says, I put out a warning. We're, we're talking about a private citizen mm. at this point. So I'm not mm. certain that a private citizen can create a database and start gathering information and have facial recognition and sort of take that information to specifically federal law enforcement, which he's very strongly you know, adamant about. This isn't just law enforcement. This is federal law enforcement who we have contacts with. I mean, yeah. you know, he goes on to say that we have contacts with high ups in the military and high ups in intelligence and in law enforcement. So you have all those things together, a guard around, say, Michael Flynn, a general, and then you start to say, who is he protecting them from? He's talking about Antifa. He's basically saying, if anybody doesn't come and comport themselves in the manner that's agreeable to the Praetorian, you're going to go into this database, you're in, you're, you've been caught on our body cams, you've been caught on whatever cameras that we have, and then whatever other intelligence that he says he's not yet willing to speak about. Yeah, he also claims that they reported directly to Trump. Right. His own right. I think it's the same clip as you said. Yeah. George, what you, this is uh, chilling stuff. It reminds me of what you know they were doing to activists in Vietnam, and they were tracking them in, in, in databases. I mean, it seems you know it's chilling, really. Well, I think one thing we need to know more about is what you know. A lot of these groups make a lot of claims about what their influence is, what their contacts are. They have a certain interest in keeping it rather mysterious, not divulging the details. I honestly don't know, and I don't think any of us really know what the extent of the support they have is within the higher echelons of serving military. We know very well who the people are, hundreds of them in the senior retired ranks, 
I think one interesting dimension of this, when you look at the literature on the far right, not just in the in military circles, but there's a common thread that runs through. If you look at the flag officers for America, for example, which I mentioned earlier, mm. they the same names crop up and again and again over many years around this central idea that the most American of all institutions is the military. The military embodies a sense of manliness. It embodies very traditional gender roles, often the objection to the changes within the military has an explicitly evangelical Christian flavor to it. A lot of the most senior military officers involved in things like flag officers are coming out of that tradition. And year after year, these guys are signing sign-on letters about don't ask, don't tell, about women serving in combat units, about gays in the military, about trans in the military. And they both retired and current, and I would assume a certain number of senior serving people, and I don't think any of us know how many there are, see that the military itself has been targeted by this great conspiracy. It's being hollowed out. It's being hollowed out by political correctness. It's being hollowed out by traditional gender roles being undermined. They're very obsessed with this guy, Bishop Garrison, who is a special assistant to the Secretary of Defense, for diversity, equity, and inclusion. They see, they really do, I think, believe, and I'm talking about the flag officers and their ilk, that this conspiracy has moved through one institution after another. And when they talk about the deep state, they being all of them, Trump, Flynn, the entire cabal we're talking about, they are most seriously concerned that the military and the intelligence agencies have been targeted with great success and that the emasculation of the military and the corruption of the intelligence services is part of the problem they're fighting. I don't know their numbers. I don't know their ranks or their levels. I think it's a huge subject that somebody should explore. It hasn't been explored. Mm. I certainly don't have the answers. I don't know if anyone else does out there. To the point about the, the numbers, George, I think you're right. We don't know the numbers. I think also military is being used. From a soldier's perspective, you don't be used. From as, as somebody who's just trying to score rhetorical points or to your point, create this narrative that I do have 10,000 people in my, my database or even more than that. The question then becomes, what are you going to do with that? And what does that become? What does that database right. then yield? And you're, you're consistently talking about people coming from, let's say, Portland or Seattle. I keep hearing those two cities over and over again. And, and, and specifically as it comes to Antifa, which he calls professional antagonizers, right? Again, mm -hmm. from a language perspective, we've heard Ron Johnson say these are provocateurs and we can hear the same sort of language echoing in the Praetorium. So my question is, what are they going to do with those 10,000 that they already have? What have they done in terms mm -hmm. of their connections with federal law enforcement, with intelligence agencies? Are there dossiers on people? And if so, for Looks what? Like it looks like an enemies list. I mean, really, that's what it is. And there's no other way to look at it. And what's interesting is, well, a lot of these guys have, have security clearance, so they can themselves uh, do background checks in, in, on a level that none of us could do because they have their security clearance. And they're all, you know, it's one of the reasons they get hired as bodyguards and security detail and a lot of things. So they're creating something that's fundamentally un-American in my mind, this idea of tracking your enemies, building a database, and then using facial recognition to, to track your every movement. It's, it's something a, else that's interesting, too, is mm. how many of their own people are set up in that database 
because one of the things that they do, or there was a, a rally, again, back to the religious right and, and evangelicalism. They were also listed on, on a permit for the Let Us Worship mm -hmm. rally. Right. So, so what are they doing for those who are in their database that may also be just simply attending? Another thing that I heard them say, that they were so embedded within the crowd they said that they dressed like Antifa and how Black Lives Matter folks would. How, do, how are they dressing? Is there a specific uniform? I don't remember seeing one. But they're saying people were in the crowd coming up to the Praetorians and saying, hey, have you seen this person? And they're like, oh, don't worry about it. That's one, sort of us, yeah. well, so a lot of, one of us. There's a lot of evidence of that. They're, with, it's their guys. It's these yeah. MAGA guys that are embedding into these uh, Antifa movements. Yeah. And, and they're the and, ones and causing a lot of chaos. Also recall that one of the things that they were trying to say about the insurrection was that it was Antifa and Black Lives Matter who had infiltrated Trump supporters. They had dressed like Trump supporters. They had been wearing the MAGA gear, which kind of is another sort of, this is what I'm doing. Blame others for that, which you do. Yeah. It could be a controlled opposition situation as well. Uh -huh. The big question for me, listening to them, uh, talking about collecting data faces and so forth, is that they claim that they reported this to federal government, federal agencies, and so forth. Was it used? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting question. Was it used? Who used it? Why? Does it still exist? Did, did, did anyone listen to them? Mm. Could it be a bluff? People bluff all yeah, the time. Yeah, it could be. It could, yeah. Oh, oh my God. They are full of psyops, all of them, all the time. They talk so much. I mean, it certainly can, may oh. not be 10,000s of people, but I don't doubt that they have a database. I feel like that sounds like a pretty, the kind of thing any, as an organization to, in pretending to be any, or intending to be any uh, intelligence organization would be gathering that kind of... Oh, I, I, I assume that. I'm not, yeah. I don't regard that I mean, in yeah, itself as positive. When it comes to face it with cognition, who owns Clearview? Yeah. That's the far right. Mm. Do you think any of these people have connections within there? Oh, I back my ass on it. Yeah, facial recognition, anyone can access these data. There's sites out there that we yeah. can all access. Yeah. But yeah. The, the idea of a database is quite, uh, it could be a bluff. You're right, George, and we should we need to figure that out. But the idea that they're peddling it, that the idea, that's one of the services they're offering, is chilling in, in many ways. If this goes down you know, the way you're suggesting it will, that if, if next yeah. November becomes a, a House Republican win, or if they're sitting around challenging you know, whether the votes in certain elections were valid, or then when they do want the military to be evolved and you move towards a military state of some sort or a military rule of some sort, that database becomes really scary stuff to have out there. And I'm old enough to remember, too, that, that I watched Fox News when I was younger, listening to them say the coming military state there are cameras that are there is that really what you want where mm. is that going to be taking our freedom and yet here it is and it's them doing it i want to show one last piece of tape which was of another gentleman who was there this is someone you called shadow flynn he's kind of obvious makes it, he's 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 flynn shadow he shows up in a lot of places yeah we were looking at every event first amendment victorian uh, say they attended and he's the only guy that pops up at every event all right, and he always take us. He takes the central position all the time. I've seen him using Dualcom so he can talk to two sort of networks of Empire. When Flynn is there, he's always Flynn's personal security detail. That's him there on the on the right. Yeah, of Flynn, on the left, the left yeah. of the screen. Yeah. yeah. And uh, on January fifth, he was um, at Trump Hotel with Flynn. On the sixth, we've seen him um, on both sides of the building with an earpiece. 
talking on the phone. We only spotted him on three occasions around the building. And reporting, we couldn't see a piece. We don't know what he's doing there. But that is Flynn's personal security detail walking around the hill. We have no idea what he was doing there, but he was there. Hmm. And so this is him throughout that day. Um, yeah, here we come. You can see him in the middle there, talking on the phone, quite agitated, walking back and forth. The, the guys that tapes him thinks he's uh, Secret Service. Actually, I'm sure that's thinks that Shadow Flitty Secret Service? No, the guys that are taping okay. that. Oh, that they're, they're shooting. Uh, some people are. Here it comes uh, in the crowd on the other side of the building. At the veteran hotspot. That spot is filled with veterans. He pops up there in a second. I think the video is gonna fall something. This is before the police line breaks there. So does that mean that Flynn yeah, was him with, with was with him there, or is that no? I I don't think Flynn is there. Right. See, but his personal security detail is present at the hill for right. some reason. And there he was walking away, and that's also a key moment in time. Okay. There's a lot going on in that piece, obviously, but the, the key that you're trying to say is that there's a First Praetorian, First Amendment Praetorian with Flynn almost all the time. That wherever Flynn goes, wherever General Flynn is out there, he's got this team of security people that are all, most of them, former uh, Special uh, Forces officers. They all have a particular skill set and they're all, you know, seem to be signed onto this idea of a revolution, of a second revolution. We heard Flynn himself talking about uh, Myanmar and uh, wanting to have a, a Myanmar type event here in, in the United States. This is consistent with what he was saying that day, uh, that you've got these Praetorians who have all pledged uh, to this defiance and potentially a revolution. George, any yeah. thoughts on that? Again, my thoughts on it may be a little bit heretical. I don't think they want it to get to that point. I think it's mm. the, it's the iron fist that is there if needed, mm. and it's needed tactically to be a physical presence on the streets around Michael Flynn. They show their hand to that degree. I don't think they frankly have the capacity, unless somebody can produce evidence that there is really significant high-level serving military support serving intelligence support for these people. It's not to minimize how threatening and dangerous I think they are, but I think the if it comes to a street brawl, they're very good at it. They can beat the shit out of any demonstrator who crosses paths with them. I don't have any doubt about that. They have the skills to do more if they consider it necessary. But I come back again to what I said earlier, which is I think if they take control of the Republican Party at the state level and, and watch the stuff that Steve Bannon is promoting on the war room. The Republican Party is this rotten fruit that is just ready to be picked and taken over. And I think it's hard to argue with that. I mean, there really isn't statistically, it's, it's why Republican members of Congress run to the hills. They haven't got any other party at this point mm. than the Trump party. You know, Two thirds of Republican voters believe the election was stolen. Yeah. Republican parties, at, people don't go to city council meetings. People don't show up at public hearings for dog catcher. And their strategy is take it at that level and you don't have to do the rest. If you control the levers of power, if you control the courts, the levels of electoral power, the ability to verify 
and endorse elections, you don't need the rest of it. You don't need blood in the streets. I think they would probably be. No, no, I, don't, I don't think they. I don't think they want any blood in the streets. They're trying to do it through an information war. I think this is a, a information battle. I think well, I think they're doing it through a lot of different means, all of which are geared to securing what they want, which is to, to seize, to take and hold state mm -hmm. power right. in order to prevent the things they see as rotting what their vision of America is. And that is a patriarchal society with traditional gender roles, with respect for the First and Second Amendments, absolutely except for the First Amendment where it applies to dissent. They'd be very happy. Mm -hmm. They are so, they, all of these people, I'm generalizing, but they are so angry about the degree to which they have lost control of, of, of the institutions of government and of civil society. And they want them back, and they'll use whatever means necessary. If the United States could have gone into Vietnam, to go back to where I started the conversation, and said, excuse me, North Vietnam, you're out of here, please go away, and North Vietnam had gone away, they'd have said, okay. No need to spill blood. Right. <laughs> you, know? uh, you, you spill blood when other options fail. And the issue is, what are the other, other options they're trying first? And I think they're very sweeping. They're very intelligently thought out. They're very systematic. They involve people at very high levels. And they've got their shock troops. And First Amendment Praetorian are the necessary shock troops. They have a job to do. Yeah. Absolutely. I was, uh, someone sent me something from Parler the other day, which was the white, white people matters, white lives matter, sorry, manifesto, which is an actual grouping that's developing in, you know, in Parliament and in these underworlds and on the internet, which is exactly what you think it would, it would be. It's an, an opposition to BLM, but it's also just a, a sort of a, an attempt to make white rights an issue heading into the election next year. And that on top of the critical race theory that they're pushing, you know, we're heading into, that landscape, a digital or information war that is going to be a round race all the way into the next uh, into the next election. And that is going to be the means with which they get the state power at the end of the day is through creating conflict and dividing us even further. It's a it's a very thought out, manipulated game. And it's not a platform. But one one cautionary word about that. One thing I think we really need to understand is if you look at the lineups of speakers at all these rallies, the, the QAnon rallies, the Flynn rallies, the quasi-QAnon, you know, the faith and freedom rallies, the health and freedom rallies, there's a slew of them. Look at the lineup of speakers. Mm -hmm. They have incredible numbers of African-American speakers. Mm -hmm. yeah, now, there yeah. was a time when these rallies would have had a couple of white country and Western singers and Stetsons. <laughs> they yeah. have rap singers. They have yeah. black stand-up comics. They are really, I'm not denying for a moment there is a tremendously strong white supremacist current in this. But I think there's much more going on than that. Yeah, it's I, really worth looking at the speakers' rosters. I, I was looking today. We we're watching a bunch of uh, these events, and there were a lot of African American speakers there, yeah. and and all they're arguing yeah. for legitimate for their positions, and some of them were standing for Congress. So there's no no harm in in that being part of the process. It doesn't stop them from still being sort of inciting division. And that still seems to no, be the, the benefit yeah. that they're trying to go for. We're out of time, Jacob. I wanted to thank your team so much for putting in so much work in this because um, really they're fantastic. As are you. There's some people you may want to mention are there some handles you want to mention that people can follow or yeah, we i'm not here by myself i represent several teams follow capital hunters on twitter that's where we and others sort of come together and play out the results 
So stay tuned there. There will be a lot of interesting stuff coming the next couple of days. It really is. This is just the first bit that that you guys are putting out. And it's fascinating to see just even this bubbling up around the first Pretoria and the First Amendment Pretorium is fascinating to me. I think that people have not been paying attention to this group. I think they're one that are very important that people do pay attention to them. And also the fact that we you know, that they were participating in, in aspect of January the 6th. I don't think that's on anyone's mind so far. So I'm looking forward to seeing what you put out in the next few days to, to underline and, and enhance that. Joe, thanks so much for sharing your insights and thanks for being here tonight. And, and George, uh, always it's such an honor to meet you and th have you on. I'm going to let you do one last thought. Do you, have a, do you have anything you want to share as we head out tonight? I'll throw out one more group to keep an eye on. Mm -hmm. I don't know if any of you are aware of it. Military.finance. Have you come across them? No. Military.finance is... Uh, it's a can of worms, but there are many cans of worms, and I think this one is worth looking at. I talked about how the military far right, the paramilitary far right, sees various social institutions as having been taken over from within by the enemy. And there is a segment that includes the banks on that list. Hmm. This is an attempt to set up a parallel military finance system using cryptocurrency. I'll just leave it at wow. that. Just, just look it wow. up and poke it in some of the principal figures who are involved in it. It's pretty interesting. Wow. There's a That's... lot going on out there beyond what we've talked about today. Yeah, it's certainly just the start of the conversation, but thank you very much for joining us. Your book is coming out in 2023. It'll be a Legacies of Vietnam, plus everyone recognizes your name from various magazines, from the New York Times, New Yorker, and various other publications. Thank you very much for being here today, George Black. Uh, hopefully, I'll have thank you again you. here in the near future. And I'll be back with one last thought. Thank you as well, Joe and Jacob. And I'll be right back in a second. Thank you. Good night. Thanks. Good night, guys. Thanks. Tonight's show is brought to you by Helix Sleep, and they have a special offer for narrative viewers. I've heard it from so many people. The one thing that's changed since January is their sleep. Not waking up worrying about what the president might have done or said or tweeted makes the world of a difference. I don't think I had a good solid night's sleep in four years. And it wasn't only the president. My 10-year-old mattress, which started life as a 12-inch foam mattress, had shrunk to an 8-inch mattress, and getting out of bed was often more of a slide than a bounce. It was time for a new mattress. Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Why would you buy a mattress made for somebody else? Changing the course of a country can take a village. Changing the course of your sleep takes a quiz. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash narrative. That's the way we spell narrative, N-A-R-A-T-I-V. That's helixsleep.com slash narrative for up to $200 off and two free pillows just for you. I had to just pop back in to remind everybody that if you haven't done it yet, download The World Beneath, which is LB's Lincoln Bible's new audio serial. It's available on Apple Podcasts right now. It's a must listen. I just listened to episode one this week. It is fantastic. It'll take you all the way from the Kremlin to the Brooklyn bathhouses where the Russian mob started their infestation of America. It's fantastic. There'll be 20 episodes in total coming out. If you're a subscriber, you could download all 20 right now. But please check out The World Beneath, which is Lincoln Bible's new series. It's available on Apple. In fact, between this podcast, between this show and Greg Oliar's Prevail, which is, uh, comes out every Friday morning, and now you've got two from LB every week, you can fill every night 
with some sort of narrative related content and it's all available for you thanks to these incredible people that i work with so thank you very much to lb and greg oliar and that's the show for tonight thanks for watching as always if you are wanting to join narrative you can join patreon.com forward slash narrative they start at five dollars a month we recommend ten dollars and it's the way we keep going here at narrative making sure you get the kind of content we brought you tonight that's the show have a good night narrative is funded by viewers like you support our independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative